What's new listeners, I'm Arthur Howell, the host of Two Cents Critic. If you're in the mood for reviews of books, movies, and TV shows, then join in. Today, we're going to be covering the book of Boba Fett, the new Disney Plus series that just wrapped up, and of course it follows uh, Boba, the, you know, the bounty hunter Boba Fett in the Star Wars universe, as he, along with his right-hand assassin, Fennec Shand, yeah, you know, they're going on a mission to take over Jabba the Hutt's criminal empire on the desert planet of Tatooine. Kind of funny that <laughs> Tatooine is supposed to be this distant planet that no one gives a crap about, and it's just this small little, supposedly insignificant little orb in space. And yes, it has so much, so much, uh, Storytelling gravitational pull <laughs> in in, uh, in Star Wars canon. It is I don't know. It, it, I I I found that to be quite amusing. I don't know. Just as I keep uh, as I watch more Star Wars content, and I'm just like, huh. There's a whole lot of shit going down in Tatooine. For yeah, again for a planet and so far, and it's like, oh, this shouldn't really this little planet shouldn't really be at the center of so many narratives, and it's like even. Even in the upcoming Obi-Wan Kenobi series, which will come out on, uh, in May, it's, I mean, even that, it's gonna be on Tatooine, because of course, that's where Obi-Wan is hiding out, so we can take care of Luke, but, anyways, uh, okay, so, I do just wanna say, before we get into Boba Fett, I just wanna say that, uh, uh, so, so Oscar nominations, I just have a few comments to say, because I actually haven't seen many of the Oscar nominees, I just wanna say that, I'm glad that uh, the Mishworlds vs. Machines got a nomination. I was terrified that the Oscars would snub it. But thankfully, it has been nominate- nominated for Best Animated Picture. Hopefully, it could win. I think, you know, as much as I love, you know, I, I, I do, I'm quite fond of, Lu- of Luca and Ryan's Last Dragon. Uh, I just don't think they can, pay- I, don't, I just don't think they, can, they uh, you know, I don't. I just don't think they can win out against uh against Mitchell's versus the machines, and and Kanto. Like, I, I, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised when Kanto wins, but I don't know. I'm still. I I I forget if I've already said this on the podcast, but I I do have my my issues with with Kanto, and just that how how weak it is plot wise, and I just didn't. I found, I had a hard time uh con- connecting with it emotionally. And just compared to something like Moana, for example, I recently watched Moana, and it is amazing how much that holds up still. Just narratively, it is narratively tight, and I'm just on board for it emotionally the whole way. Same thing for Coco, also. So I don't know. I just I just had a personally different experience with Encanto. You know, I can understand why people love it, and definitely the the, the way it represents uh, Colombian culture. And I, obviously, I can't speak. I can't speak from a personal perspective, not since I'm not Colombian, but just from the research I've done. I'm just like, yeah, you know, this movie did a great job, actually. And also, like, definitely even having like the all of the varying, uh, you know, skin tones, just because, like, you know, hey, it's, it's not like it's not like the, it's not like they all have one. So it's not like they're all one shade. You know, some people are dark enough to look black, others are white enough, uh, or, or others are light toned enough to to pass as white. And it's just like, yeah, that's how it is in real life. You can't just have one shade. Or, or, or everyone is just light toned, like in, in the heights, you know? So, anyways. And, oh yeah, and the power of the dog. I, I, 
God, I haven't seen that yet, but it is on my watch list. So, man, it's funny, like, like Kirsten Dunst, I mean, she's been around in Hollywood for a long time, and this is only her first Oscar nomination. I don't know, I, I just feel like she should have gotten, gotten a nomination by now. And, funny that her and Jesse Plemons both got, nomina got nominations for Power of the Dog, because, uh, you know, they're married. I think that's quite hilarious. Uh, and Dune, yeah, why didn't Dune, uh, why didn't director, uh, Denis Villeneuve get, 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 get a nomination for Best Director? That's odd, I mean, I don't know. Hopefully he gets a nomination for Best Director, hopefully, for Dune Part 2. And last thing I'll, last thing I'll say, okay, last couple things I'll say is that I'm surprised uh, Nicholas Cage was snubbed for Pig. Pig is also on my watch list, but I just I just heard so many people go like, oh, this is an Oscar-worthy performance. And then it's like, nothing, nothing from the Oscars for Nicholas Cage. Which is a shame, because you know what? I think it's high time that he gets a nomination. And I'm not, I'm not speaking sarcastically here. I really do think, like, you know... As much as, you know, as much as he loves doing, like, you know, the campy, silly, weird movies, like Mom and Dad, or, what, what was that, Wally's Wonderland? The one about, uh, about the living animat animatronics? I think it's Wally's Wonderland. Anyways, you know what, he does movies like that, but you know what, at the end, he still, like, he, he still got it in him. I, you know, I personally believe, I personally believe that, and it's, it's gonna, it's, it'll be nice to see him do the... The unbearable, wait, what was it? The unbearable talent of something, something. Anyways, one where he, where it was basically a parody of all of, of his past movies. Okay, Willy's Wonderland. I'm just looking it up right now. Willy's Wonderland is what, the, is what featured the living animatronics. And as for, and, and then also, I do, I do think that uh, Ruth Negga was snubbed for the Netflix movie Passing. I don't know, I just found, I, I found both her and, uh, and Tessa Thompson. I thought they, I thought they both gave, you know, magnetic performances. But I would say Ruth Nega in particular, in particular, and, I don't know, I just felt like passing should have gotten something, you know, especially, I mean, that was the directorial debut of, of, of Rebecca Hall, and I'm just like, yeah, this is a, a strong, you know, a, a strong first effort of her, directing-wise, and, just would have been nice to see the movie snag something. So, okay, and then, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Okay, that is in the Cage movie. And he's gonna be in that with Pedro Pascal, which is, you know, good for, good for Pascal, you know, I, I'm really glad to see him getting more roles, you know. Anyways. Oh yeah, and then, oh yeah, and then uh, The Last of Us. Man, he's gonna be, he's gonna be starring in The Last of Us. Oof, yeah. Alright, yeah, so, okay, so, just, just wanted to talk about the Oscars for a bit, but now, uh, back to the, back to the Book of Boba Fett. A show that, you know what, I, you know what, I, I was honestly not fully happy with this, with the way that this show turned out. I think the show really struggled to find its footing, and the plot is just quite slow. Not, it's not slow the whole time, though, like, because, okay, so the way it's set up, so, so that again, it actually, so, it, it takes place in two different timelines. There is the present timeline, the present day timeline, and that is where, you know, that's where Boba, he has taken over the uh, criminal empire that was once owned by, uh, by Jabba the Hutt, and then after Jabba the Hutt died, it passed on to Bib Fortuna, and then of course, uh, you know, we all saw that uh, post credit scene at, uh, at the end of season 2 of The Mandalorian, where Boba killed, uh, killed Bib, and... Then he and, you know, Fennec Shand play, uh, they took over 
the under you know the the underworld and uh, the inner city of Mars Espa on Tatooine, and so and so that's what the present day timeline is about. Is, is that he is now trying to, you know, he he's trying to exert exert his authority, but at the same time he also doesn't want to be cruel. He doesn't want to be ruthless. He actually wants to be a humane ruler, someone who. Someone who someone who gets people to follow him because they respect him, not because they fear him. And the, the present day timeline, just nothing really happens. And it's, and the thing is, it's because we, we cut so often back to the past because he, he has this thing where it's like he has to go into the back to tank to heal himself. And I'm assuming it's because of the of maybe like the acid burns because obviously he was in the he was in the and he was in the Sarlacc pit, so I'm assuming the acid did, did some damage to his body. Also because of the sun, because you know like he's been out in the hot sun, the, the twin suns of Tatooine for a while. So I'm assuming that also damaged him too. So that's why he probably has to go into the back to tank. And then whenever he goes into the back to tank in the present, then that's when the show transitions. It it, it flashbacks to the to, to the past, and that shows. You know how he escaped the Sarlacc pit that everyone thought he died in, and he ends up befriending uh, a, a tribe of of uh, Tuscan people, or I think it's sand people, uh, Tuscan raiders. I keep seeing I keep seeing the different I keep seeing people switch back and forth between Tuscan raiders and sand people. But anyways, I, I won't go into I won't go into the spoilery details of what happens. But yeah, it's just. The, so the past is so much more compelling, actually. It's like I, it's like oh, when 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 I'm watching the flashbacks, and they're lengthy flashbacks. It's not just like five or ten minutes. Th- these flashbacks take up, I would say, I'm gonna say seventy percent of the f- of like the first four episodes, and then the rest of the time is dedicated to, to the present. Like the thirty, per- the rest of the thirty percent goes to the present day timeline. And on the one hand, yes, it does give the it does give his past, you know, like when he escaped Sonic Pit, I think maybe, well, I think it was like six years ago or five years ago from what I've seen on the timeline, because when he escaped Sonic Pit, it was right at the end of the original trilogy. So, and, and then the Mandalorian, we know, takes place about five or six years after the events of the original trilogy. So, and so there was a whole gap, like when, when, when Bobo was just out there in the desert, and for like for, again for five or six years before between the original trilogy and then the events of the Mandalorian season two when he ran into Mand- when he ran into into Din Djarin and he got back his Boba armor and uh, again the, the, the past is just so much more compelling I I care a lot more about what's happening you know as he's befriending the sand people and. Whereas, again, the present, just not much happens in the present day, and then, again, no spoilers, but there is, I, I mean, okay, you've probably already seen what's happening, what happens in the show, if you go on Twitter or, or anywhere on the internet, but there's a certain point in the show where an unusual, an unusual choice is made for the narrative, and I think that it distracts greatly, it, 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 distracts, it distracts greatly from the main narrative. And I'm just like, why is this happening? Shouldn't we be focusing on the on the plot and not just branching off into something else? And uh, again, hard to talk about that without getting into spoilers. But 
yeah, I'll, I'll be digging into that in the spoilery breakdown. And it's sad, because, you know what, again, it's not as if the show is completely broken. There are some things that I love. Like, I, I love uh, Tamira Morrison's uh, performance. I think that he is enthralling as Boba Fett. And it's, it's just great to see him, ha you know, because he first took on the role when he played Django Fett, Boba's father, in, uh, in the Star Wars prequel trilogy. And it's nice to be able to see him lead the show, and also, and, and also, uh, Ming-Na Wen, also she's fantastic as Fennec Shand, even though I think that she does get kind of underused. I think, you know, she's still, she, she's still, uh, a stellar presence to have on, and I think it's, and I think it's crucial that the show ends up starring two people of color, because, uh, you know, and, and, and Tamir Morrison, like, you know, he is of a, of, of Maori heritage, and I also think that's important, and, and there are indigenous cultural themes that I picked up on with the Tatian people, and, and I do wonder if that was meant to be connected to to uh, Tamir Morrison being Maori, and uh, and also I think it's great that the show also again stars two people, not, not only two people, people of color, but also you know they're not youngins; they're both getting up to their birthdays. Wasn't Ming Na Wen? She's in her late fifties, and and Morrison is in, is in his early 60s, and again, it's nice to see that as well, and you, all, you also have a, a nice supporting cast, and, you know, like, you, you've got Jennifer Beals has a cameo in here as a, as a Twi'lek, and, you know, and David Pescetti, he's like this, this, uh, this major domo, who's kind of like an, an envoy for the mayor of Mos Espa, and I appreciate it. I, I appreciate it, the kind of like the oiliness, that Pascetti brings to the character, and I like, you know, I like the, the main teamwork by Ludwig Goranson, and, and the score, it was his, it was his assistant, Joseph Shirley, who handled the score, actually, and, yeah, it, it wasn't just Goranson, you know, ha you know, he wasn't uh, handling everything, he was letting his assistant, you know, just kind of, you know, kind of fill his role, you know, to be able to flex his muscles, and, 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 and Shirley has been, he, he actually ha he's had an apprenticeship with Gorenson, and he's been working on, he's been working with him on Creed, The Mandalorian, Black Panther, Tenet, so, you know, it, it's, nice, it's nice to see that, you know, Gorenson, it's nice to see Gorenson give his assistant, you know, some time to shine, and there's, there's a nice, like, a, you know, I, I wrote this in my review of the, of the Book of Boba Fett, and the way that this, theme for the Book of Boba Fett sounds, it sounds like a Vikings who've kind of like been tossed out, out of time and now they're just plopped onto this desert planet into this kind of like, you know, space western environment. That's, that's what I think of when I hear the theme. And, you know, I love the, I love the set pieces. I think that, I think all of that is splendid. It's kind, of, kind of like with the Mandalorian, the way that, the way that they use the set design and the visuals. It, it all fe it all feels very much like it fits within Star Wars, and I just I, again I just wish that the show really could have you know just been, been able to clarify its identity, and you know I've seen some articles out there like I saw one article you know uh, positing that Boba really he should have been the villain of the series he sh he shouldn't have had to make him go through this whole arc where he is supposed to be, you know, humane. He isn't nearly as he isn't nearly as cruel as he once was. And it's just like, no, like, you know, maybe you should have had him 
Oh, just had him be the full-on villain as he's as he's trying to rule this empire. And that's not, that's in my opinion. I'm just citing citing another article, but and, and I I can I can actually uh, I can actually post a link to the the article I'm talking about in the show notes. But yeah, and you know I, I don't know. I I I think. Looking at his arc, I do wonder if it would have been ni- nice to maybe have him start out as ruthless in the beginning, and then over the course of the series, because I'll, 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 and I'll give credit to someone else. Well, there was someone I was DMing with on, tw- on Twitter, and, and 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 they were talking about how they would have preferred if he had his whole arc, where he starts out as ruthless, and then he, and and maybe he wants to he goes on a whole mission to achieve vengeance against everyone who wronged him, and then over the course of the show. He then has this po- he he then has this this character transformation where he's like what where he's like wait I this actually isn't fulfilling for me maybe I should try to turn things around and then that's when he goes and then that's when he becomes you know like this more you know this more benevolent character this more this more, this more you know again humane person but he doesn't have an arc like that unfortunately for the for the show he's just he's the same from start to finish. He is basically the same character. His beliefs haven't changed, and that is frustrating. So yeah, so that, those are my thoughts on the on the show, my thoughts and feelings, and I'm gonna give this a wind up score of fifty out of a hundred. And you know, I I really I did I did want to try to give this a higher score, you know, maybe like sixty, but. This, this show is definitely flawed. It just didn't live up to the, st- to the high standards that I have, especially after watching t- two seasons of The Mandalorian, where the storytelling is just top-notch. There, not that The Mandalorian is flawless, but I, just the way that that pulls off its own narrative is just so much more riveting, and it you know it's too bad because you know this is, this was created by John Favreau. And all of, all of the episodes are written by him, except for one. There was one episode written by him and Dave Filoni. But it's just like otherwise, yeah, like this is this is coming from the same from the same you know Star Wars creatives as the Mandalorian, and it's just I mean, granted, you can't ex- you can't expect you can't expect all of the all of the art from one person or from a certain group of people to be fantastic to be excellent. But at the same time, and you know, obviously I can't stop myself from feeling de- some disappointment when I go from The Mandalorian to The Book of Boba Fett, and just and and then I just and then I just I'm just left feeling feeling like, wow, The Book of Boba Fett really did squander its potential. So yeah, so that's again again twenty uh, fifty out of a hundred, and you know, hopefully the book uh, Obi Wan Kenobi. You know, I I, I still have my hopes up for. Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, I think that, that, you know, that does have potential, and, but, I mean, who, who knows, I mean, that, that is coming off, of, I mean, I'm feeling this way, but also the prequels, like, I have seen the prequel trilogy, and there is, ooh, there is tons I could say about them, but, hey, you know what, Ewan McGregor is coming back, and, you know what, as bad as those movies were, he elevated his role, he was able to just, Take some dialogue that was so cringy and make it bearable to listen to, and I think that's a, that's a sign of a, a true star right there. And now I'm gonna go into the spoilery breakdown. So if you haven't seen the show yet and you and you hate spoilers, then move on out of here. Or 
if you have seen the show yet, or or you have or you haven't, but you don't care, but you but you but but you find the spoilers, then you can stay right here. Now we have the first episode of the show, uh, chapter one, Str- Stranger in a Strange Land. This is directed by uh, Robert Rodriguez and written by John John Favreau. Of course, all of the episodes uh, were written by Favreau. And so, 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 so this is so this you know this has some you know fun bits in it. We've got Boba escaping the Sarlacc pit, and uh, like when he uses the ox- he uses the uh, oxygen oxygen pipe of a, a sto- of a stormtrooper who's already been trapped down there in the pit. And uh, ooh, Fresca, that's a uh, gross to think about. Just that the the stormtrooper will just be slowly digesting in inside inside the Sarlacc. For the next thousand years, and Boba would have been subjected to the same fate if he hadn't escaped. But nope, he, he uses the oxygen pipe. He just rips it out and is able to, you know, breathe in some more air to to sustain him a little longer. And then he whips out his flamethrower and just burns his way out of the sarlacc. And then finally, we have that shot where his hand just bursts out of the sand and. And, and and then and then we also have the present now. We also have the present day timeline, and again, Boba, he's trying to he, he's trying to solidify his power over his newfound criminal empire, and so there's a bit when a, when a transocean named a Dark Strassi is meeting with a Boba, and Dark Strassi says, "May you never leave, most Esper." And I think they even comment on this in the show. Is that that sounded very much like a threat? And oh, and and also Robert Rodriguez, he actually he did the voice for Doc Strassi. And we also meet uh, we also meet David Paschetti's character, the Major Domo, and he is again like I said before, he's kind of like the ambassador for Mayor Mark Shais of 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 uh, Mos Espa. And he's just so unctuous, like the way the way he talks, his his speech pattern, his dialogue, and his mannerisms, his physical gestures, the way he just kind of like so smoothly just kind of like flows his hand his hands around. He's just he's incredibly bombastic, and I found him to be very entertaining. And and then, oh, and we all, and then we also uh, Max Max Bebo is alive. And I was surprised to see him here, little, little blue musician alien. Although, I mean, I don't know if he's still alive at the end of the show because obviously we have the whole thing where, where the sanctuary, the cantina that uh, Jennifer Beals' uh, Twilight character, uh, Gonza Fripp, you know, because she, she, she's the owner of the sanctuary in Mosespa. Obviously, there's a whole scene where the sanctuary gets blown up, and that just le- leaves me wondering, you know. Did Max Vivo die? And if so, I am gonna be very, very, very sad. And uh, oh, and and then also we have we have I I I like the bit here where Boba says he wants to rule with respect, but Fennec she believes he needs to establish his authority via fear. And I don't know, like there were a few bits sprinkled throughout the show where it felt like. Fennec was objecting very much to what Boba was doing. You know, they, they had different ideological beliefs as to how this should be approached. Again, ruling, just ruling the underworld. And I 
did think for a time that Fennec would end up backstabbing Boba. And because she, because, you know, maybe she disrespects him. She doesn't feel like, again, what he's doing isn't correct. You know, you need to rule with an iron fist. You can't be, you can't, I, because he even, she even says, like, you know, you, you, you're you being soft. And I think it would have been, it would have made, no, it would, it, it would have made logical sense, narratively, if she had ended up betraying him. And there was, this was a whole fan, fan theory. I'm not the only one who thought of, who thought of this theory. There were a whole bunch of other people who predicted this, but, uh, never, it, it never does come to fruition, which is too bad, I think. Again, you just really needed more, you, you needed more story meat to fill up the show, especially with the, with, with the way it just veers off in the fifth, up, in the fifth and sixth episodes, but, you know, I'll get to that uh, later, later, and, oh, and then, and then we also, we, we cut back to the, to the past, because again, I think, you know, again, we you cut back and forth whenever Boba goes to the back to tank. He just lies in there, healing up, and then we, and then just, oh, the screen kind of like turns this aquamarine shade, and then we fade into the past, and he ends up being, well, because in the past, it's the Jawas who end up taking his armor, and it's just like, man, those Jawas are just so, just, just so ruthless, and, they're just gonna, they'll just steal armor and weapons off of anyone, and here's the thing, maybe they really did, I don't know, no, well, no, because Boba, he did grab at them, there's that scene when he does try to grab at them, so they know he's alive, it's not like they think, oh, like, maybe he's dead, so he might as well just steal off if there's all of a dead guy, it's like, no, they know he's alive, he did try to grab them, and they just left him for dead, <laughs> and, and, and that's why he ends up losing his armor, and his armor ends up, you know, eventually being passed on to Cobb Vance, you know, as we saw at the beginning of Season 2 of The Mandalorian. And then Boba ends up being abducted by the Sand People, and they keep him along with that uh, Rodan a prisoner. And, oh, and, and then also the, the, the Kid Tuscan, the, 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 you got the, the Kid Tuscan with the red claws, and he, the, the kid is like the, the, the chief, the, the tribal chief's child, I think. Wait, is, is it? I think. I, I, I don't know, I, I kind of just assumed that, but now that I'm thinking of it, about it, I'm like, wait. Am I incorrect? Is, uh, uh, or is it, or, or is it someone else's child? I don't know. I'm just gonna say, I'm just gonna say it's, it was, it's the chief's child right now. And I also did get kind of Grogu vibes from this Tuscan kid. Because I don't know, it just it just felt like oh, like you know, there's a little kid, there's a little kid wandering around, and kind of bonding with a uh, boba. It reminded me of a similar relationship between Grogu and Din Djarin. And okay, now I'm looking up uh, the Tuscan kid, and apparently it was a son. And it doesn't say that he's uh, the son of the chief, but. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, because they never did make it clear if he was the son, if he was the chief's son, but I don't know. I just saw he did have like the red bandana, and okay. I just I do see some theories out there that maybe he was the chief's son. Anyways, anyways. So this is the Tuscan kid. Anyways, again, Grogu and then giant vibes, and oh, and then and then Boba has to go off to, uh, to try to capture. Uh, Boba's Rodan prisoner and uh, Tuscan kids are all going off to 
to, uh, to try to get water, and then they end up getting in the fight with that with that sand creature, and it it, it looks it, it looks like a, a mythical baddie, you know, like maybe something you see in Greek mythology or it's just even like a Crash of the Titans. It reminded me of that sort of beast, and I really do love the design of it, just, just like these multiple arms and and its face, the reptilian look, and. Oof, that Rodan, that Rodan prisoner does not make it out alive, and I feel bad for the little Rodan. Which, by the way, Sam Witwer, uh, he, he had an uncredited cameo as the Rodan prisoner, and he also, uh, it was the voice of, uh, Darth Maul. So, that's a nice little factoid. And, it really is badass when Boba gets to strangle the sand creature to death with the chain, and... Yeah, and then Boba and the, and, the, and the kid come home, and the kid is just holding up the severed head of the sand creature, and everyone, all, all of the sand people, are so excited. And I really, I really do love the way that this show ends up humanizing the, the sand people, and just you know, it makes them, all, it makes them all feel like a community instead of just kind of just painting them all in this vicious light. Because whenever, whenever we've seen sand people, they're always like, it's like they're always trying to kill. You know, like Luke or Anakin, or like you know, they killed his mom, and you know, it's 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 nice to see them get fleshed out more, rather than just see them be rather than just see them being being portrayed in a you know in a, in a negative uh, stereotypical light, and you know, just that's I think you can you can also say that say that for a lot of a lot of like aliens or like anything in fantasy or science fiction where you take one race of of people, whether it's elves or centaurs or any or anything like that, or dwarves, and you can be like, oh yeah, like this this one race d- uh, possesses a certain a certain set of qualities of behavioral behavioral traits of tendencies that maybe do fall into stereotypes, and maybe they're meant to be, to be stand-ins for for people in our actual world. And, I don't know, it just makes me think of stuff like Watto and, uh, and, and Phantom Menace. Where it's like, oh, you're definitely, uh, you're, you're definitely, you definitely fit into the space zoo, uh, trope. And it just makes me very uncomfortable. Or, uh, just e- e- even, like, the, the aliens who, uh, who, who are, you know, like, part of the Trade Federation. Where, where it's like, oh, I think they're meant to be, uh, Asian stand-ins, maybe specifically Chinese. Especially with the, especially with the horizontal eyes, yeah, not not a great, not not a great, uh, not a great look. And, anyways, yeah. So uh, so then so then, we and then we also in the, in the present we also do have the the fight with the assassins, Boba and Fennec, and 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 also the two Camorvian guards. They have to have to fight off the the assassins. And Fennec shoving one of the assassins off the roof reminds me of uh, Natasha Romanoff doing the same thing to uh, Jasper Sitwell, the shield slash Hydra agent in Captain America as a Winter Soldier. So that was that was pretty amusing. And uh, and the Gamorrean guards, you know, I actually grew I actually grew to care for them over the course of the show, and it really is a shame when they when they just get killed off at the end, and. Like no one even no one even holds a funeral for them. There's no moment where Boba, where even Boba, just mourns them in any way, and that is bu- that bugging me so much. 
when it's like when some when characters die, no matter how minor they are, and it's like okay, we don't even take one moment to at least reflect on their deaths. We, we don't we don't even have to hold a whole a whole freaking funeral for them, but at least just give us one beat where you know the, where the main character or the main characters are you know feel, feeling some sorrow for them, and also it's like hey like okay well you know Natasha at least Vision and and Wanda were I I mean I, no no I mean at least Wanda and uh and Clint were wanting her at the end of Endgame, but you know what she also deserved a, a funeral just like Tony Stark. And, and then, so yeah, so that's episode one, and then we move on to episode two, The Tribes of Tatooine. This is directed by Steph Green, who was nominated for an Academy Award for her 2009 short film, New Boy. She also directed an, an episode of Watchmen, and her credits also include Luke Cage, and the Americans, Dare Me, oh, and also another credit of hers is The Elwood Generation Q, so... Yeah, she, she she has quite she has quite a few quite a few credits to her name, and and this one, uh, so we've got like you know Boba and Fennec tricking the assassin and blurting out that he was hired by the mayor, uh, Mark Shies, and they did it just by threatening him with the rancor by tricking him into thinking that he was that that he they were actually gonna free, feed him to the creature. But no, the gate opens up, and Rancor is not there because the last one, the last one died, obviously. And you know that was that was pretty that was pretty hilarious to just, to just watch this, you know, this supposedly, you know, in, invincible tough assassin just completely fall apart under interrogation. And it's just like, man, aren't you supposed to be? Aren't you supposed to be? Aren't you supposed to have a little, a little more metal than this? A little more of a, a thicker skin? But I guess not. And again, I'm still into the major domo's uh, oiliness, and yeah. And when Boba and Fennec are trying to meet with uh, Mark Shies, the major domo tries to block them at the front desk. And I also like the when they meet with the mayor. The mayor has this kind of like a, a this translator voice. It kind of reminds me of uh, Stephen Hawking, and. So, and, and, oh, and, then, and then we also have a meeting with the Hut Twins, who are kind of like barging in on Boba's territory. And, oh, and by the way, I forgot to say this, Boba, Boba is known as Daimyo, which is basically like he's the, the kingpin of his territory, the Daimyo. And we also meet uh, Black Kersantan, the Wookiee assassin, who is working with, uh, the, with the Hut Twins. And I will say... Over the course of the series, like, over the course of the series, the Hutt twins actually don't play that big of a role. In fact, they're pretty minor. And I do wish that they maybe could have been more involved. I think Kostantin, you know, he, he he again. Maybe I think he does more. He get he's get he gets more involved in the show. But again, I feel like maybe he w- was somewhat underutilized. And. It's been, it, it's actually, I will say, it's nice to see characters who have been in Star Wars canon, who have been, in, like, into comics and novels, now getting the live-action, you know, adaptations, the, the live-action debuts. You know, we're, we're seeing this with Constantine, who was originally in the comics, and he once, apparently he once worked for Darth Vader. I haven't read any of the comics, but that he was in, so I just had to, you know, look up a bit of his history. 
but it was the same thing with Cobb Vance, with Timothy Oliphant's character. He was originally, I think, in I think he was mentioned in the history of one of the books. Was it the Aftermath series? I'm 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 gonna say the Aftermath series, so I'm not sure, but yeah. So, anyways, Cobb Vance. He was introduced. He was introduced in that, and you know, Bokatan was was introduced in Clone Wars, and you know, like cartoons, and now he is, and now she's on. And now she's made her live-action debut on The Mandalorian, same thing with Ahsoka. And, of course, later on we see Cad Bane make his own live-action debut. So, it's nice to see this happen, and I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see what, what, what we'll do with Thrawn. Hopefully, uh, ho- hopefully Thrawn sticks around for a lot longer than, uh, Cad Bane did. I don't know, I'll, I'll get into my, uh, complaints about that. At the end of the show, <laughs> because I have, I have a lot of thoughts about that, and oh yep, okay, just like in the top, Cobb Vance, yep, Cobb first appeared in the 2015 Chuck Wendig novel Aftermath, the first installment of what became known as the Aftermath trilogy, via via an interlude chapter in each of the novels, named as a reference to the off to the office supporting character Bob Vance. His name is often misspelled Cobb Vance in certain chapters. Hmm, yep, yep, yeah. Oh yeah, also known as Marshall, yeah. Ooh, hmm, interesting, w- once a slave, hmm. Yeah, okay, so, yeah, yeah, so, again, okay, copy ant, well, more, yeah, more thoughts on that later on as well, but, anyway, so back to the show, and, oh, the, the male hot twin, he wiped off his sweat with a little hamster creature, and I just feel so bad for that little hamster. I mean, imagine if that was, your whole role was that I, or I don't know. Maybe he just maybe maybe the hamster is just more of a general slave creature for to for the huts for the huts to entertain themselves with. But I don't know. Just like to be to be gripped in that in that hut's hand and just have to soak up all of the sweat. Ugh, that is repellent. Ugh, ugh, I I feel bad for that little hamster. And then. Boa goes back into his back to tank, and we remember his past, where, yeah, where we, we've got the whole thing about uh, the Pike Syndicate, uh, Spice Chain, and how and how that's running through the the Sand People's territory, and Boa ends up organizing this whole scheme to steal the speeder bikes from the from the, the Nixo gang at a bar, and then. Teach, and then he trains the Tuscans, the Tuscan Raiders, because they, they've been teaching him their, their ways of how to survive out in the desert, and also the, the combat style. And there's been actually a training instructor who has been uh, who's been doing sessions with Boba, and kind of like you know teaching them how to use the, the, the gaffy stick. And now we've got Boba, you know, uh, arra- arranging them all for uh, a train heist. And, 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 okay, so it's the way this, the villains are set up, because then we got, like, basically, the Pike Syndicate is meant to be the main, the main antagonistic force of the show, and, you know, it's made up of, of fish-faced aliens, and they wanna, they, they want, they want to, you know, run this whole, uh, spice trafficking scheme, and part of that, you know, goes, again, it goes through the, Sand people's territory, and this is also kind of a, kind of a reminds me of this. What this is what brings up the indigenous themes for me, because you can see this, 
you, you can easily see, see this happening in real life. It has happened many, many times in real life. It's just kind of colonialism, where it's just like white people just come in and they often will tear up, uh, and, and tear, tear, you know, tear up indigenous people's territory or just, you know, and just, just completely wipe, wipe it out, wipe out their homes. And then they'll set up their businesses there, their transportation routes, and they will not give a crap about about the about the, about the people who originally lived on this land, and I I, I like that, I, and I just wish I I really wish that the way that the the sand people's plot it it could, it could have been handled much more strongly, and I'll you know, uh, you know I'll, I'm going to try to cover this as chronologically as chronologically as possible because I don't want to jump around too much, but basically again the train heist. Uh, that's, it's a nice scene. Granted, I am just sitting here thinking, okay, they're running along the rooftop. That's unrealistic. But you can also say, say that for any train heist because you cannot. It is impossible to run along the top of the, the roof of a train. It is so windy up there. It is the train is just zooming along. You would be just be blown off the roof so quickly. But whatever, you know what? I can. It's quite, it's sort of it's sort of like it's sort of like the rule of cool. Just hey, you know what? Let us be, you know, uh, let us be, let us, you know, shine with its magnificence. You know, don't get too don't get too hung up with the plot holes like that. And, and anyway, anyway, so the train the train heights I like I like train heights quite a bit, and uh, and then. We've also got to, we and we, and then they end up stopping the train and stopping the whole route and uh, you know telling the you know just telling the pikes the pikes to you know go away this is the the land of the sand people and then we also go back to the present and we've got oh no 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 no, no I'm sorry no we're still in the past because then we've got this whole this this, this whole LSD bit with a lizard. Shoots up Boba's nose and sends him on a, a Black Panther ancestral plane trip, and we we see a bit of his childhood escaping a Sarlacc pit. We've got this whole tree again, very Black Pantherish, and he and 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 the chief and the chief asks Boba to show him the branch that he saw in, in his in his vision, and then he gets dressed up in robes and the and the branch gets carved into a new gaffy stick for Boba, and. All the sand people are dancing. You know, it's a it's a it's a happy it's a happy episode. You know, they succeeded. You know, for now, in stopping the in stopping the pikes. And oh, and I forgot to mention and the Nixo the Nixo gang. They've been causing trouble earlier. Like we even saw like the in the first episode when they were when they were mugging someone and robbing someone's home and they left behind kind of like this this arrow like symbol. And it just it's uh, again the Nexo gang you know ends up just being kind of a, a decoy later on, and they weren't they didn't really do much in this for this show they were meant to be kind of like red, red herring very much, and and then we move on to episode three the streets of Mos Espa directed by Robert Rodriguez, and and so in in this one we start off with. Was eighty eight? Was it was eighty eight? I thought I I thought it was eighty eight at first, but no, it's eight. Like the number eight, D number eight. And this is the torture droid, played by Matt Berry, and I I I I kind of like this this little eighty eight. Whenever it popped up on the show, 
and you can almost feel how skittish 88 is, as if it's accustomed to living with fear under the job bar. And, uh, and I, 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 I like the moment when 88 says it didn't want to mention Jabba's name in front of Boba because it felt like the name might insult him. And then Boba's like, well, now I'm insulted. <laughs> and, oh, and then also we have this episode starting off with uh, Boba resolving this whole issue where Stephen Root is coming in and he's complaining about... He, he's complaining about this mod gang, this gang made up of, of these young cyborgs who are stealing water from him. And, or, and, or, and they won't, and, well, more like, they won't pay for the water. But then Boba goes off to meet with the, with the mods, and he finds out that, he, that they're actually poor, and the water is really expensive, and Stephen Root has been overpricing them, and Boba ends up just, you know, taking care of things, and he's just like, hey, you know, just stop but you know, start bugging them and lower and lower your prices. And I like Stephen Root and his cameo. I think he does a good job of. I think he 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 balances both the aspect of how his character just tries to suck up to Boba, and just really be appealing. But then once he ends up being being uh, showing a little bit of his of his mean a little bit of his mean side towards the end, then it's like, oh, I can see I can see how. I can see how you're uh, just be- being very selfish here. I can see how you're just you're not giving a crap about ripping, ripping people off and taking taking advantage of 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 the of the mods, you know, in spite of the fact that they're poor and they clearly can't afford water at high prices. And water is something that's necessary. It's just like kind of you know, it's kind of like with you know, it's kind of like with health insurance. Or medical care is something that everyone needs. It's not something you know. It's not like we should have to pay for it. It that it is an essential aspect of our lives, and every everyone should be able to have it. We shouldn't you know people shouldn't be have shouldn't have to split up the medication and just kind of stretch it out for days or weeks. And but yeah, just you know. So, so anyways, I was, I was just thinking of that. Just a little d- d- diverging for a bit there, but. Oh, and also I want to say that uh, one so one of the mods, Sophie Sasha, Sophie Sasha. So basically, I feel like she was the main. She was she was the main mod here. Sophie Sasha also starred in the twenty eighteen outer space movie Prospect with yes Pedro Pascal, aka Din Djarin. So now it's funny that both Na- pa- Pascal and Sasha are now part of the Star Wars universe. And oh, and then also Scad. Scad is also. I feel like I feel like he's the the second in command almost. He's the one with the with, with the little with the little eye device, and he's played by uh, Jordan Jordan Bolger, who also was on. Uh, he he had he he was on Peaky Blinders. Oh yeah, and then and then uh, Stephen Stephen Root. He's just like, oh, the people around here don't respect you, and it's just like, wow, that takes a lot of guts to just say that to Boba's face. <laughs> And okay, and, and then also, Boba mentioned that he grew up surrounded by water, and I don't know. I just felt like this was janky dialogue right here. It's just like, yeah, why do you say that? I felt like that was kind of obvious. It just, I don't know. I, it just felt like an, it just felt like an unnecessary line. Maybe some. It felt, it felt like a ver- first draft dialogue. Anyways, I don't know. Just felt like it, it kind of could have been cut out, and. Oh yeah, and then and then and then there's a moment where Boba is on is on a banshee and then he passed it after dismounting it, 
which is a precursor to him bonding with the ran Rancor later on. And in general, he is quite he's quite nice to animals, which I appreciate. And you know, just you know, I I like that. You know, again, gives a bit shows a bit more of his humanity. But again, it's like uh, maybe his character arc should have been handled a little differently. And then we find out that the Nickelodeon gang uh, massacred the, the the Sand People tribe that Boba had been staying with. Because now we're, now we're going back to the past, and I have problems with this because. I just feel like it was all, it, it almost felt like, it almost felt like, uh, they were being fridged to support, uh, Boba's story, and I just feel like this wasn't, it just wasn't necessary, like, why did you have to kill all, all, all this moth, and, you know, you, uh, you, 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 this, this show had been building up this, you know, emotional relationship between the tribe and Boba, and really getting me to care for them, and now it's just like, oh, so now you're gonna kill them off, and it feels it feels somewhat manipulative, and I just really wish at least I know I, I wish a, a few I wish some of them could have survived at least because we never even, we never even see them again. That's the whole thing is that all you know we never we never see them again. It's not like because. Uh, there's a series and maybe some of them survived. Like maybe the kid, maybe the kid survived, even though we do see. So his his gaffy stick because when Boba you know you know burns the bodies and uh, adds the adds the kid's gaffy stick to the pile. I don't know. It's just, I I was just I was hoping that maybe the kid could show up and help save a day and a lot of people a lot of people were thinking that, but then it's just like, oh no! The only reason this really mattered was because Cad Bane when he shows up at, at, at the end of the show, he ends up revealing to Boba. That it was actually, it, it was actually the Pike, the Pike Syndicate, that was that screwed him over, and they just made and they just left the signs because it because there was like the symbol for the Nikto gang that's behind, they just did that to to show, to show off Boba, and you know get him off the tail, and that's really that that's really the only reason that it mattered. Other than that, it's just like yeah, it's just, we didn't need this. You know, you could have you could have gone in a, in a different direction with this story, so that you know, so that does disappoint me. And also, I just be, we, we've seen so many sand people die, and and I'm just like, hey, you know what? Maybe maybe I I'd be okay with with keeping them alive. You know what you know you know what I mean? And and then we also have and then we and then we and then we cut right back to the present when Black Hosanson ends up. Snatching Boba out of his back to tank, but the mods, the Gamorreans, and Fennec save the day and trap Chris Hansen in the dungeon. And Fennec took a long time to show up, and I honestly thought that maybe she's let Chris Hansen into the palace again, because I was thinking maybe she wants to double cross Boba, you know. And I was thinking, is she working with Crimson Dawn? You know, that could that could have been a possibility. Although I am honestly glad that uh that Kira. Didn't show up. I re I didn't need Amelia Clark popping into the show. You know, it's like we don't we don't need too many cameos. We already had a lot of cameos in the show, and obviously, you know, then pops up later on. The honorable, even Amy Sedaris, she's in it for a bit, and and then Luke Skywalker and 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 Ahsoka Tano and Grogu, and I'm just like, you know what? We don't need everyone 
jumping onto the, the Book of Boba Fett ship. You know what I mean? We can, we can just you know leave leave, leave some room. We don't we don't have to clutter everything, and and then the and then, oh and also when 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 Boba and Fennec are eating breakfast the next morning, I I seriously thought for a moment that the breakfast meat came from Chrysanthemum. I don't know, just because I was like, wait, are they celebrating his capture by eating his meat? <laughs> and, and and then and then the, the Hush twins end up going over to to Boba's palace and offering him a rank a rancor, kind of like and and they're trying to be like, oh, you know, we're sorry for sending Chrysanthemum after you because it was them they they sent Chrysanthemum to kill Boba, and they're like, oh, you know, we apologize, and you know, we'll we'll give you this rancor. To you know, to show our sin- to, to show how sincere we are. He also warned him to leave the territory because it's been promised to to Shais. and then and they, and they actually apparently go back to, go back to Hutta because they don't want war. They just, apparently they just want out of this. You know, they don't want to have to deal with the gang conflict. Although, again, I kind of felt like maybe they would end up. Uh, coming back, I thought maybe they were actually scheming something, you know, behind the scenes, but they, they just wanted to put up the appearance of being all friendly, but then it's like, oh no, they're actually pulling strings, you know, from the shadows, but nope, I guess they really were gone, it's like they really just left, and there's really nothing complex going on here, plot-wise. I feel like this show could have had so much more politics going on, and so much more just, you know, uh, politics, and... It just, it, it, it all, the story just felt so stripped, stripped down, which is, you know, disappointing. And, oh, and they also let Boba keep Chrysanthemum, but Boba ends up releasing him, and warning him to avoid working for Skullcords. And I think Boba even makes a mark about how, like, he, he would know, like, because obviously, you know, he, he did want to work for, for Darth Vader. And, oh yeah, that's what he said, take it, take it from an ex-bounty hunter, that's what he said. And then, oh yeah, and Danny Trejo, he makes a cameo in here. Granted, he's only in this episode. I thought maybe he'd be in the show for a bit longer, but just this episode. But still, nice to see him here as the Ranker trainer. And I like it. And, and then he says he, he says Rankers can be very loving and are usually bred for fighting, so that's pretty much all they know. And so, and Boba ends up just kind of warming up to the Ranker and, t- and taming it, which I appreciate. And it gives me, in this whole scene, when... When Boba is is taming it, reminds me of How to Train a Dragon, and and then Boba and Fennec visit Mark Shai's, but the greasy little majordomo flees on his speeder, and Marge pursues him on her scooters, and Drash, that's Sophie Shatter's character, causes you know as they would stop him and causing him to crash through stalls and into a bin of melaroons, which. If I'm pronouncing that correctly, with your type of Star Wars fruit, and he reveals that the mayor has teamed up with with the Pike Syndicate, with whom, and I should say, Boba and did meet with them in the past because they didn't want to pay the protection wage to both the Tuskens and uh, and uh, I think the, the Nikto gang, the, the Sand Pirates, and it you know there were a lot of complaints about the scene, and I don't know like. I I don't know personally for me this whole chase scene is that bad, but it definitely could have been much more dynamic. Like it was it was honestly pretty slow. I was just like, man, they're, yeah, they're, they're not moving that quickly. You could easily catch up to the major domo. 
but and it's surprising because Robert Rodriguez is you know he you know he is he does focus a lot on on action and I feel like you know even like the tragedy you know I think that was the episode he directed back in season two of The Mandalorian and that was you know compelling act you know when it comes to the action so I don't know. I just would have, I would have, I would have, I would have expected the action here to be a bit, bit more dynamic with this whole chase scene, and 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 now Boba ends up having to prepare for war with the Pike Syndicate, and oh, and and also one of the, one of the mods uh, crashed through a uh, Ralph McQuarrie art, and you can see you can see like you know when when the mod crashes through the eyes it has it has Luke removed from it and the color is changed for C3PO because I guess obviously they can't have the art you know that's out on on the street looking exactly the same as the as the real you know art from Ralph, from Ralph McQuarrie but yeah that's a, a nice nice little bit of trivia and and then we move on to episode four, The Gathering Storm, directed by Kevin Tancher, Ke- Kevin Tancher, who has directed episodes of Agents of Shield, Arrow, The Flash, Supergold, Legends of Tomorrow, Iron Fist, and he was going to helm a Mortal Kombat adaptation after creating the web series Mortal Kombat Legacy, but he ended up having to bail on the movie in 2013. And it's funny that he that he helmed episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because, of course, Ming-Na Wen is also... He, she, she was also on that show, and now she's here as well on the Book of Boba Fett. And basically, this whole episode covers Boba saving Fennec after she's shot with a life-saving mod operation, and they're gonna re- and they re- retrieve his fire spray ship, which was once called uh, the Slave... The, sl- the Slave One, but now it is just... Co- it's just officially been renamed to Fire Spray Ship, and 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 also and then, and then searching for his uh, Beskar armor inside the Sarlacc pit, and I'm surprised mo- the sh- show moved so far up ahead in the timeline because I thought that maybe Boba had only been with the Sand People for a few months or maybe a year or two, but not like I guess maybe he was he was with them for the entirety of the five to six years, which. I guess I, 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 I do wish that maybe the, the, the timeline had made it a little clearer because I didn't think that that, that so much had happened during that during during his stay with the with the with the tribe. Again I thought it was shorter. I didn't think I didn't think that I didn't think all those years had passed by. But and as Stephen Lee Bruner or Thundercat, he played the mod artist who conducted the operation on Trenic. And it's funny to see him have a cameo in here. And Boba, f- oh, oh, I like the moment when Boba frees the Banshaw he's been writing and says, Find other Banshaws. Make baby Banshaws. <laughs> and, okay, uh, and, and also, did we, I don't know, when, when Boba and, when Boba and Fennec, when they're fighting, the, when, they're, when they're fighting the droids, did we really need the scene of the Boba chasing after the little, I think, love droid is called? If, if, I, if, if I'm getting the name correctly. I just felt like the whole chase with the left droid felt kind of cartoonish. I'm just like, why are you running after this little droid? And it's just screaming and, I don't know, it just felt kind of silly. In general, actually, this whole episode is actually... I found it to be an incredibly slow episode. It was actually my least favorite episode out of all of the seven episodes here. And I just felt like nothing really happened here. Like, 
because, because the thing is, it goes up to Boba saving Fennec and how they end up meeting, but it just feels like nothing really happens, and it's like, we okay, we already know that they met, and, you know, obviously, because now, because now, now, just, all of these events that are happening in this episode are happening at the same time as the events of Mandalorian Season 1. So now I'm just like, okay, we knew, we, before this episode, we already knew that Boba and Fennec had met, and now I'm just like, okay, but now, and now they're meeting, but nothing, I don't know, it's just, it, it didn't feel as interesting as it could have been. Again, it's just, it just feels slow, and, I, and I, it also doesn't help that the, the Sand People are gone, so now we don't have that emotional bond between Boba and the Sand People to keep me going. And I, was, I just wasn't nearly as invested in the show once, once they were killed off. And that's why, again, it's like, not only are you fishing them, but also you're taking away a part of the show that I, deeply, that I cared for deeply. And if you just keep them on, I, I'll, I'm just going to be more, much more on board. And... And then also, in this episode, Fennec says that spending time with the Sand People has made Boba soft. We also have a beat- we also have a scene with Kosantin, who ends up getting a fight with the Trandoshan- the Trandoshans, and, uh, and got- and Gossa flips, uh, Cantina, the Sanctuary, and that's- again, that's Jennifer Beals' character, and she- and he ends- and, and he ends up ripping the arm off the Trandoshan in spite of her attempting to persuade him to avoid doing so by offering get rid of his debt, and, and, yeah, that was a, a brutal scene. Okay, but also, it did kind of confuse me for a bit, because I'm just like, okay, so we're just looking at the Trandoshans, and, no, and then nothing happens, like, you don't do anything to piss them off actively, and then you just get start, you know, brawling with them. And now, I look up in history, and that it turns out that Wookiees actually have a history, history with Trandoshans, because Trandoshans have just been horrible to Wookiees, and enslaved them. So, once you know that history, then it makes sense why Kostantin would end up being so, would end up being so, uh, aggressive with them. But I just felt like we needed the Trandoshans to at least do something to him. Maybe, you know, just kind of like, bug him a bit. Maybe, you know, taunt, taunt him. Or, you know, do something, do something with him. Maybe try to, maybe try to, you know, try to mug him. Just do something, so that way it gives it gi- it gives him a reason to want to fight them, and it doesn't leave you know pe- people like me who aren't as well versed with the Star Wars canon. It, you know uh, that way I'm not bewildered. I mean, like I wasn't actually that confused. I was like, okay, I was watching this, and I'm, and I'm like, okay, I'll just assume that, so- that something is happening within the Star Wars canon that's making Kosantin act this way. But, I don't know, other people aren't gonna think that, think like that. They'll just, they'll just be watching the show, and wondering why the hell Kersantin is just fighting with the Trandoshans. So, I felt like that was, that, that was, uh, you know, that, that, that wasn't, that was a poor example of, of writing right there. You know, just, could have been explained, uh, much better. And, and then in the presence, uh, and so yeah, so so all to go back to the present now. I keep I keep forgetting when we're flipping back between back and forth between the present and the past. But in the present, Boba sits down at dinner with the captains, uh, with the kind of like the kingpins of the territories, and I think it's three three different territories, I believe. And basically, it comes down to they don't want to help him fight the Pikes, but they do agree to being neutral should the Pikes approach them and request their aid in overturning Boba. And I love it when the Ranker frightens the Kingpins, followed by Boba feeding it. 
And that, that was a fun bit. And he also felt that banter, too. Again, like I said, in general, he's good with animals. And then the episode ends with Boba and Fennec, uh, Fennec agreeing that the Kingpins, you know, they're all, they're all planning, you know, they're all waiting for the right moments to betray him. And that's why he's gonna end up having to recruit some muscle. And the end of the episode, we do hear a bit of that Mandalorian theme, the... And, of course, like, you know, you know, I was like, wait, is Din Djarin really coming back? And or Grogu? And then, of course, this leads to the next episode, Chapter 5, Return of the Mandalorian, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. I'll just say right here, I think Bryce Dallas Howard, she really, she has such... And she has such a a clear understanding of Star Wars. You know, she's she's directed some she's she's done a fantastic job whenever she's directed episodes for the Mandalorian. And now it's like great. It, you know, you, you get you get someone, you get one of the Mandalorian ep- directors to handle this episode, and it's just really great to see that. And I don't know, I I really I really do hope uh, she ends up being able to helm a, a whole Star Wars movie in the future. I think I think she could do. A top-notch job of that, and uh, okay, Return of the Mandalorian. Okay, so like the title says, this is Return of the Mandalorian. It is you know, just Dinjarin coming back in, and I mean, even just the way the episode opens and how he just shows up with his Beskar armor, his Beskar spear, his dark saber, and he and he's going in to capture the bounty. And uh, I think was I think it's a butcher. I think it's like a, a a slaughterhouse. I think, and he ends up having to kill ha- having to kill the bounty and the other guy and the other guys who are trying to fight Dendrin, and he just completely cuts cuts the guy in half at the end with a dark saber, you know, and it, it it was surprisingly brutal, and oh, and he also ends up injuring himself too with the dark saber, and which is like oof, it's like. That, that's a... I, because yeah, the weapon looks unwieldy at first, and I think we do get into that, because then, then it's like, oh, he's fighting the weapon. He's not, he, you know, he's not he's not able to really, I, I think, bond with it properly. I think that's the whole point of that, and that's why it's, it's it was difficult to use the uh, dark saber during that fight. But I think this episode really does exemplify first heavy-footed pacing and plotting of the Book, book of Boba Fett, just the, the jankiness that's the jankiness of the show, because when you're watching this, this is, this is my favorite episode, personally, out of all of the episodes in the show, and it really says a lot when you've been watching four episodes of the Book of Boba Fett, and they're supposed to be exploring this whole story about Boba, and, you know, he's in the ma- he, he's in the starring role, and then it's like, oh, but... It's just, it's just all dawdling, it's just dawdling along, and then, you finally, you come up to an episode focusing on the Mandalorian, and then it's like, oh, things are moving at a much quicker pace now, things are just so much more gripping, and look, I'm not, look, well, I, look, it, it is a character, the character I think is well constructed, I think you've, it really delves into the lore of the Darksaber this episode, and the, and the Mandalorians, and the way, and, I don't know, it, not only, not, not only is it just because this is an episode focusing on Din Djarin, because it's not like every episode of the, Ma- of the Mandalorian for the two seasons has been a knockout. You know, there have been a few that have been, uh, you know, just less than stellar. But, 
at least it's, it feels like John Favreau, who also wrote this episode, it just feels like him and the Star Wars people, I think maybe they're just more in tune with the Mandalorian, whereas for some reason for, for the Book of Boba Fett, they're just, it, it just feels empty. It just feels like there isn't that much story meets to mine, which is frustrating because you could you could have made something really compelling out of the Book of Boba Fett, but I don't know, it just seems like that was, for some reason, a challenging feat to accomplish, and again, it was just really slow the whole show, and it's just like, Again, four episodes, and now it's just like, okay, you got this episode, and then the next episode also focuses on Grogu and Din, and it's just, I find this being an unusual choice, also, to take to, to take a show where the plot has been moving along so slowly. Again, the flashbacks have been quite enthralling, but other than that, just, just, the plot is just so, it's just so sluggish, and... Then you end up, and then you end up dedicating two episodes, basically to the Mandalorian, and it's just it's a, it's an it's an odd choice to make to just focus on this to, to to focus on this one plot at first, but then but then you just branch off into the Mandalorian, and you just it's it's just it's it's just it's stealing time away from the Book of Boba Fett, whereas if you had just made all of the episodes focus on Boba and Fennec, and you can have, you can have Din pop in, but he has to be a side character if you want to, if you want to show to focus on Boba and Fennec. Din has to be a, Din, Din has to be a supporting character, he can't be the, the, the lead, he can't be in the lead role. And, it's just, I think I would, I wouldn't feel as, I wouldn't feel as frustrated if the first four episodes had really done a great job at just moving things along, but because it was so slow, that's why I'm so much more dissatisfied with, with, uh, two episodes of this show being dedicated to Din and Grogu. You know, it's just like, you know, I, I saw one of you calling, saying that the Book of Boba Fett is really The Mandalorian 2.5. Which, you know what, I think it's true. It's just like, yeah, you dedicated two episodes of the show. These two episodes might as well have been the first two episodes of season three of The Mandalorian. And, you know what, they were great episodes. They would have been a great way to kick off season three. But instead, he just decided to just shoehorn them into the Boba Fett. And just distract, you know, you're distracting the audiences from the, the main story. Which, again, was, wasn't, was, was just kind of, just interesting along, but at least if we had two additional episodes, you know, would have given us more time to, f- to flush things out. Anyways, but focusing on the episode itself, I do, I like the design of the Halo space station. You know, we've got this whole thing with, we, with Paz Vizsla, and he ends up wanting to duel uh, Din for the, dark, for, for the right to own the Darksaber, and Din ends up winning, but then the armorer ends up asking him, hey, hey basically, did you have you ever taken off your helmet? And then has to tell the truth. It's like he, you know, he could have lied, but he was like, no, you know, I have to be truthful, and he does admit that yes, he did remove his helmet. And Armorer, I guess, basically, you know, basically out outs him because he broke, he, you know, he broke the creed. You know, he he was not following the way. Although, and potentially does give him the chance to go to the mines. Uh, on over on Mandalore, and you know, sink, sink, you know, 
sink, sink himself into the, the living waters there, and only then can he redeem himself. Which I, you know, I, I'm interested to see how that will, how that will unfold, because I do wonder if the armorer maybe has an ulterior motive, you know, does, is there something in the minds that she wants, or, I don't know, like, I, I, or does she, does she just, does she, does she just purely want him to be, want him to undergo this redemption arc? Who knows, but, I'm, 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 I'm fascinated to see where, uh, where that will go. And, oh, and, and then we, and we also learn that, uh, that, that Ty forged the Darksaber's hilt, and he was both Mandalore and Jedi. And, you know, it, it, nice to learn about that too. And we also get some stuff about the Night of a Thousand Tears, and the Armorer says that Bogotan is a cautionary tale, and she, because she believed blood was all she needed to rightfully own the Darksaber, but her, but her once eminent clan fell. And, again, like, you know, it, I, all of this lore was just was just incredible to observe, and I, 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 again, you know, I can't wait for season three of the Mandalorian. You know, hope to dig into this more, and it's and oh, and then and then it's also funny when Dan is about to board a ship to Tatooine, and he has to check all his weapons at the security checkpoint, and he says, "I know everything that's in here," and it's just delivered with this deadpan sense of humor and. And, and, and how he just takes so long to to take off all of all, all of his weaponry, and he's just like, "Whoa, you are armed to the teeth!" <laughs> and oh, oh, and then also the Rodan, the Rodan kid was cute too. You know, the little Rodan being drawn to Din at at the end of the episode uh, reminds me of you know Grogu a bit, and. Oh, uh, oh, and then, uh, that's right, oh, and also, uh, Gro uh, Din ends up forging his Beskar spear into the, into what we find out is a chainmail, and I'm just like, oh no, this is, it's so cute, such a cute little gift, and because, that's right, he, uh, the armorer says he can't keep the spear, because it's dangerous, like, this can pierce, this is the only thing that can pierce Beskar armor, and so it's actually very, very dangerous to possess. So, you know, she has him, you know, reforge it into something new, and he ends up wanting to make a gift for Grogu. And she, she, she objects with it first, but he ends up, you know, because she's like, you can't, you can't hold emotional attachments to anyone else. But he's like, well, you know, that would actually be, be going against the creed. You know, because, you know, I need to, you know, because what, what's important to us is solidarity and loyalty. And at that point, then she's, oh, then she's, she's okay with forging the Beskar Spear into the little, little chainmail for Grogu. And I find that to be an interesting way that she, for her to tweak the rules. Because again, like, she's incredibly strict. And I, it's just interesting to see how even she is kind of bending the rules for Den and Grogu. And... Again, just gonna be interesting to see how how you know if they end up treating the way because I feel like in the end I do think Dan is gonna end up having to he he's gonna have to stray away from the creed from, from his creed you know because he's been follow, following all his life and you know because he's he's already removed his helmet you know a few times 
and you know, Bokatan has already go, gone down that road of also breaking away, f breaking away from the way, and just feeling that it is it is it's far too strict for her, and you know, I do wonder if there'll end up being a conflict between Din and the Armorer when that time comes. You know, because I feel I feel like the Armorer in the end, I feel like I think she would still be, I think she would still want to follow every single rule. Of the creed, you know, I don't think she. I don't think, even though she she made just one little tweak, I don't think she she'll do much more than that. And oh yeah, and then and then, uh, then goes to Tatooine, and oh, and, and then the we we find out that the the Jawas they stole the cryogenic density combustion booster off the underside of a Pike Spice runner while it was refueling. <laughs> and I like that a little bit because. Because, uh, Pelimoto, she's a mechanic, mechanic played by Amy Sedaris, and she ends up, you know, she's like, hey, you know, I've got this new starship for you, and it's an N1 Naboo Starfighter, which, of course, you know, we've seen this before in the prequel trilogy, and it is funny to see this here, and it's just, because, you know, I, again, I, you know, I, I just saw the, uh, the prequel, the prequel trilogy, so I'm just like, oh hey, you know this, you know this looks familiar, and it, you know, it was handmade for the royal guard and personally commissioned by the queen of Naboo, as they say in the show, you know, and, and it's funny how you know because it's funny how Din ends up flying this around, you know, he 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 does a test flight because Anakin also flew this in the Phantom Menace on that same on that same route through the canyons for the Padres, and then Din ends up flying it along the same route, and we see some pitch droids too. Which is funny, and we also have the bit where Peli says that she dated a Jawa once, and they were furry, very furry. And she also said she could, she could have made some money and opened up a petting zoo around Grogu. And I think she's a, I think she's an amusing minor character to have on show. I don't know. Like, I know some people. I know I know she bugs some people. I think I'm just. I I, I find her to be a little more appealing. You know, I I can understand why she's bug why she bugs some people. But, I don't know, I think, I don't think she's nearly as bad as someone like Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> yeah, and, oh, and, and then I like, to, I, like to, I like the moment when, when she, when she asks him, when he, when he, when Dennis doing the, the test flight, she's like, smooth, and he says, as a gonk scomp jack, and I'm just like, is this part of the script, or are the actors just making this up on the spot? Because they don't say a lot of this, this Star Wars sci-fi gibberish, and like a gonk's scumbag. I don't know. That's I I I keep thinking of I keep thinking of, of a womp rat when they say stuff like this. That's really the only thing I can think of. Or maybe maybe a, a gonk's scumbag. Like what what like what's a gonk, and then what's a scumbag? A gonk's scumjack because that that means the scumjack is owned by a a gonk. I don't know. You, 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 yeah, you you could you could just spin off onto a whole bunch of possible theories about what a gonk about what a gonk what a gonk and a scumjack is. Or maybe I keep thinking maybe a gonk is maybe something kind of like a lizard, and then maybe the scumjack is maybe a little creature that lives on gonks, maybe feeds off of the any dirt and debris that rests on them, kind of like, you know, those little, uh, that, that attach themselves to sharks and feed off of the junk that's on them. 
and oh, and and then also, and then then ends up running into Kaz and Teva, and actually, so two of uh, two of the uh, two of the pilots, the public, the, the new Republic pilots, so it's Kaz and Teva, and we've already met him over on the Mandalorian, and he ends up recognizing Den's voice, and. Like he wants to talk to him, but I don't think he, I don't think Dennis in trouble or anything. Honestly, I just think that maybe Carson is, is thankful for Den helping out as Navarro, and maybe maybe he needs to ask him questions about stuff that's going on with the with, maybe with Moff Gideon or stuff like that. And and oh, and also Max Lloyd Jones, he was the other pilot, and he was the double for Luke Skywalker in season two as a Mandalorian, and. I'll be interested to see what happens with, you know, if Carlos and Tabla ends up popping up again, and just, you know, seeing what's going on with the, with the, with the New Republic, and, again, you know, you know, I can't wait for Moff Gideon to show up again, I think he is a fantastic villain, and, you know, Giancarlo Esposito does a great job portraying him, so, again, it's just, you know, it'll be great to see him in season 3 of Mandalorian, and, Oh yeah, and then one more thing I'll say is that the N the, the N one Starfighter, I am like okay, this is far smaller than your than your than your original ship, than Jaren. I mean you, yeah, just there's not that much space here. Granted, they granted, he does have a new cockpit fitted fitted on the ship to make room for a Grogu, but still, I I am like ah, you know, this doesn't have nearly as much space as the Razor Crest. And then we go on to episode six, chapter six. From from the desert comes a stranger, directed by Dave Filoni, and this is the one that's written by John Favreau and and Filoni. And we open up with a uh, car Vance. He's dealing with the Pike Syndicate, and he shoots three of the Pikes and lets the fourth one go, and ends up just spilling the spice and and letting it fly off in the wind because they're doing the, the spice run, and. I love how the opening theme combines the Book of Boba Fett and the Mandalorian themes in a different way than the previous episode. Oh yeah, because yeah, it it it, it they did the same thing as well for the Lieutenant of the Mandalorian. It also had the themes. It had both like the Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett themes playing, and so it they do that again for this episode for From the Desert Comes a Stranger. But the way the two scores are combined, it sounds a bit different, and. So this is basically the whole thing. The whole thing about this is Luke Skywalker, you know, training Grogu. This is also where we get Din asking for Cobb's help with warding off the Pikes, and then we have the shootout between Cobb and Cad Bane. And okay, I, what, what I'll say here is that I think Luke it's okay. I I think the CGI act for for Luke is perfectly acceptable. You know, it's not as it. it you know, whereas, it, it, just, the way the CGI is handled for for people like Luke Skywalker, or, you know, or, or Grand Moff Tarkin, or Princess Leia, it all, you know, it, it, it does improve over time. You know, whereas, it's like, uh, Grand Moff Tarkin, and Princess Leia, and Rogue One, it's just like, oh my god. God, your eyes are just so glassy. You look so dead inside. Why are you on screen? Get, please go away. Stop terrifying me. And then, when when CGI comes up to Luke Skywalker at the end of Mandalorian season two, it's just like, okay, there are definitely problems here. I don't know. It's, it's not terrible, but 
definitely we've got some stuff going on with the eyes and also his face. It's just like his face is so stiff and and you know I wish you could just pump some more emotion into his facial features. And then we've got uh we we we've got this episode where Luke pops up and it's just it's not it's it's not that bad. It, it's it's just a little better than. Uh, than what when, when we last saw him at the end of the Mandalorian season two, but it still does frustrate me that we that this episode it shows Luke in it for pretty much like half the episode. It's not even just just a, a small cameo that he's in, and it just makes it that much more difficult for the animators to have to deal with. And I do I, I did notice. That it's not it's not like he was it's not like his face was all up on, on the camera for every second of the episode. You know, we we start out kind of from a distance, and whenever the camera could could view him from the side or from behind him or from a, or from far away, the camera would just always take those opportunities because you know less you know less time you're spending on his face, the less work the animators have to do, which is good. But I don't know. I just couldn't help but. Focus on his, on his, on his like his, his cheeks. Like I, I, I particularly noticed like his cheeks and his and his mouth was just very stiff, and it was just, and it was just it, it was difficult to really emotionally connect with him when I'm just constantly thinking in the back of my mind that this is a CGI person I'm watching right now, and I am wondering what's gonna happen. You know, like. Is is Luke gonna pop up in other parts of Star Wars? And I I I I do hope the CGI improves, but I don't know if if it's gonna improve that much over the next few years. And even then, it's like okay, so if and and if CGI doesn't improve, and you need to get uh, then you 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 need to recast him. You can't have the same person, you know, the same CGI person playing Luke Skywalker. You, you gotta get someone new. To play him, and like I know that's gonna open up a whole another can of worms, and you know more solo Star Wars story crap. But even if you know, even if the person doesn't exactly fit how you think, you know they should be playing, you know this character. At least they're real. At least they can infuse the role with some emotion. And again, there's gonna be more challenges there because then it's like, okay, does this person can 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 they mesh with the role of Luke, of Luke Skywalker? You can also ask ask the same question for Princess Leia. And that actually feels that that's even tougher because Carrie Fisher, you know, has passed has passed away. So then it's like, okay, do you really want to try to handle this character? Like, do you really want to have a CGI person play this character when it's when Carrie Fisher is dead? And that just ups the uncanny valley issue even more. And in that case, again, recasting would be a great option. And even then, do you really need Luke, uh, Luke and Leia? Do you really need them to be main characters for any of like the shows or movies? Personally, I don't think so. And you know, I think it's perfectly fine to have them pop in, you know, for cameos and for you know, for supporting roles. But you don't want to you don't want to gobble up too much of the nostalgia. You know what I mean? You, you want you want to savor it. You just want to have a, you just want to have 
you know, small little boards of it here and there. But you don't want to, you don't want a huge part of it. You don't want to have to just devour all of that and then just get exhausted from all the nostalgia that's being pushed onto you. And, yeah, so, you know, that, those are my thoughts on this issue, and, 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 oh, okay, so, I guess, so some of the smaller stuff, so, we do have a moment where Luke is training Grogu, and he, and Grogu tries to levitate a frog into his mouth, which was adorable, I'll just say that, and, and, and then, and then also, oh, and then Din arrives, and he wants to give the chain meal to Grogu, but Ahsoka, Convinces him, and also, like, yeah, Ahsoka, she's here now, what? And her, now, I can't wait for her spin-off show to air. That's, that'll be exciting. Anyways, she convinces him that he needs to let her give the present. Otherwise, it'll be agonizing for Grogu to reunite with Din, and then be separated from him so soon afterwards. And then, Luke helps Grogu remember Order 66, and... I will say, having seen the prequel trilogy, that was actually much more impactful for me. And, you know, just because, you know, again, as poorly written as as the prequels were, when when Order 66 is executed by uh, by Palpatine, that is a heartbreaking scene when, when you're just going across the whole galaxy and you're just watching several Jedis be backstabbed by their own troops, by their own clone troopers, who will end up turning into stone troopers, of course. And... So now, and so now this whole scene where we're watching Order 66 happen from Grogu's perspective, it is terrifying that he ended up having to live through that, and he now, and now he is, he, he has to deal with that, with that PTSD. And, you know, it, 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 it's a nice, you know, you know, it's, an, it's a nice, uh, you know, riveting moment for the show. Again, just, just like, again, this, this this episode belonged in the Mandalorian. I I have not mentioned Boba Fett in a long time since while talking these, about about these two episodes. And Grogu also trains with a remote droid. And oh, and then also the Mandalorian score was reused for the final Grogu scene before we switched to Dan's POV because it's that it's that goodbye score that plays when. And Grogu end up saying, you know, saying their farewells at the end of season two. So that was a nice little touch. Again, I just really love the score. I think Ludwig on Ludwig Gornson does a fantastic job. And you know, again, again, nice to see Joseph Shirley being able to step up to the plate. And and then again, when we go back to Din, he asks for for Cobb's help with warding off the pikes. And uh, we also meet Cobb's rookie deputy, who's kind of j- jumpy, and Mars Pelga, the town that Cobb oversees as a marshal, has been renamed Freetown. And, ooh, and then we have the shootout between Cobb and Cad Bane, and, but, but then Cobb's deputy messes it up, and he gets killed in the process. And I was just like, why did you do that? You could have just let Cobb handle things. He would have, he could have, I, I don't know if he could have dealt if he, if he could have killed Tad Bane right there, but at least you would have been able to survive. You know, just be be smart about things. Let your marshal handle handle the situation. But nope, the deputy gets killed. Uh, then and then also Cobb apparently is killed too, and his friend looks pissed. And I'm just like, Cobb, Cobb has to be alive, right? And I don't know. It's like, just, and then and then the rest of the show does trick us into thinking like, oh, Cobb is dead. He was killed in cold blood. But then, nope, the post-credits scene shows Thundercat, uh, 
holding him up in the back of the tank, and he's gonna, and he's gonna, I think, you know, engage in, engage in life-saving operation on him. And I'm just like, well, why did you have to do that? Why did you have to just jerk us around like that and manipulate us? And they're thinking that Cobb had died. I just, I just found that to be extraneous, and... I don't know. Just he, he, like he could have partaken in the fight, in in the boss fight at the end of end of the show. That would that would have been amazing to watch, but nope. He has to. He just has to back out of it because he is lethally injured. And anyways, and so back to the shootout. So Cad Bane's. So all, okay. So I'll I'll say Corey Burton played played the voice, and Burton also uh he he played Cad Bane on. As the Clone Wars, as well as Bane and the Bad Batch. He also has played the voices of Count Dooku and Zero of the Hut on the Clone Wars. And, like, he's done, yes, he, he had a ton of voice acting credits, including, uh, Hugo Strange and Batman Arkham City, uh, Shockwave on Transformers, and a lot of, a lot of roles for the Walt Disney, for Walt Disney Company, like Captain Hook and Dale and Ludwig von Drake. And, I, so here's the thing, I have not seen the Clone Wars, but I I have heard a lot about Cad Bane and how much people love him as a bounty hunter and just someone who is I think like even on his show, on in his live action debut, he is visually appealing. He's just someone you know, someone who is memorable and and then even just his his air, the air he gives off, is incredibly menacing. And I'm just like, oh, you know, you need to be taken seriously. You are definitely a threat. And I will just say this. I guess so now, now that Cad Bane has been introduced, I'm just like, why did you have to kill him off so quickly? I mean, I guess I know that he was Boba's mentor, and that was the relationship that they have uh, be- between themselves. And because Cad Bane is coming on here because he's a henchman working for the Pike Syndicate, and so now he's here to he he's here to make sure. That they can that they can run the spice through Tatooine, and I don't know. I may okay. I guess maybe it would have been okay to kill him off sometime, but he just showed up at the end of the show. He was not even the main villain. He just popped up at the end, and we he didn't have much screen time. I think you should really, just you, you, Star Wars really should have waited to kill him off because now it's like oh great, so now he can't show up anymore. You know he because he's dead now. I mean, if you want to show, if you want to have other stuff portray him before he died, I guess that's okay. I guess that's okay if you have him pop up in a movie or one of the Disney Plus series. But then again, it's like okay, but he's also he's not that big of a villain, villain anymore because now we know he's dead, and it's just like he can't he can't he can't participate in anything beyond the Book of Boba Fett and the timeline, and. It's just like, man, you, you know, it's it just, it's Yordice's claw all over again. Or Killmonger. Uh, but I would say Yordice's claw especially, because claw is like a minor, he's a, he's a minor bad guy. But, and he, it, I can, I, I can understand maybe Killmonger, well, no, okay. I think Killmonger should have stayed alive, but I can understand why you kill him off. Claw, I don't get that, because, again, he's a, he's a, he's a minor villain, he can just pop up. And anything, and pretty much, I, I feel like anything you want to do in MCU. And Andy Circus was clearly having such a fun time playing him. And I'm just like, why would you kill off one of the most, one of one of the most delightful supporting characters in the MCU? 
and now you're just doing the same thing to to, to Cat Bane, and it just it really is disappointing. I think if you if you if you had waited may, if you had waited a while, maybe if we had a season two of the Book of Boba Fett. Although honestly, I don't think that would happen. Or if you turn Cat Bane into a main villain for say season three of the Mandalorian, or you turn him into a main antagonist for another TV show. Give him his own arc, his own fully fleshed out arc that people can watch in live action, and then kill him off. And then it's like, okay, at that point, his death is earned. We've watched him, you know, we 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 watched him develop, you know, we watched him be a uh, be an imposing bad guy, and now you know he's had a time in live action. And if we want more of Cad Bane, we can go back to the, to the Clone Wars. But now it's like, nope. We, yeah, just, we just get very little time with him on the Book of Boba Fett, and now, again, he's dead. And this is not a situation where he can be resurrected, because Boba, like, just stabbed him in the heart with his gaffy stick. There is no coming back from that. Which is, again, it's, it's upsetting. And, yeah, but, you know, that, that's my, those are, those are my two cents on the issue. And now we and and then now we we go back to uh the pikes and they end up blowing up the sanctuary and again did Max Lebo die? Just still wondering about that. And oh, and then we have this emotionally overwhelming conclusion where that 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 where, where Luke is now present he he presents Grogu with a choice. He can either he he can either pick uh. Dens chain mail. Oh, and if he does that, he can go back with Den and just you know he can give up, he can give up his Jedi training and just reunite with Den, or he can pick uh, the lightsaber, Yoda's lightsaber. Like Luke is offering this to him, and if he picks his lightsaber, then he can stay in the Jedi Jedi Temple and uh, and keep training with Luke. But he can only pick one. That's the choice. The that. That Luke gives, uh, gives Grogu. I would say the ultimatum doesn't make total sense because I'm just like, well, okay, even if he does go back with, with, uh, with, with then, why wouldn't he just give him Ryota's lightsaber anyways? It's like, don't you want him to have a weapon that he can use to protect himself? I don't know. I just felt like that didn't really make much sense. But you know, I, I mean, I, I get, I get the, I get the whole point of it is that he has to make a choice between. Training to be a Jedi, or or going off with Din, but still, it's just like practically speaking, why wouldn't you just give him the lightsaber if you really want him to be able to defend himself so much? And we get a bit more of that Mandalorian farewell score, and yeah, and then that's the end of the episode, and I was just like, oh my gosh, like, okay, I did, I was like, okay, obviously, he's gonna shoot, he's gonna go back with Den, and, again, very, I was very emotionally overwhelmed, and, see, here's the thing, I know that eventually, Grogu had to leave the Jedi Jedi Temple, because eventually, Kylo Ren is gonna slaughter all the, all the the Padawans, the Padawans, I, I keep forgetting if it's either Padawans or Padawans, I don't know, Anyways, Kylo Ren is gonna slaughter everyone here eventually, so we need to get 
Grogu out of the temple before that happens. So, the thing is, I feel conflicted over the fact that Grogu ends up reuniting with Din so quickly, and they just end up flying off at the end of the season finale for his book of Boba Fett, because it's, like, they were not separated for that, for that long. Think about it. They said goodbye to each other at the end of season two, and then, I'm, I'm assuming, this is a month later, I'm assuming when, I'm assuming when all of this crap is happening in the present day with Boba and Fennec, it's happening maybe a month later, maybe a couple months later. And now I'm just like, okay, so you were not separated for that long. And now it just sucks out all of the impact of the goodbye at the end of season two. And like, I don't know, when I watch that, when I rewatch that eventually, it's just not gonna be as enthralling for me because I now know that they'll be back together, you know, at the end of the Book of Boba Fett. And, it, and again, it wasn't even that long. It's like, okay, I know they're going to reunite sometime, but couldn't they have waited at least until the end of Season 3? You know, at least let a year pass by, maybe a few years. I don't know. Okay, again, end of Season 3, I think, was that, was that was the soonest you should have pulled this off. But no, now you've got reunited, and it just feels like a part of me, a cynical part of me feels like Disney is doing this just for the numbers. And just for the hype. Just to be like, ooh, yay, see? Den and Grogu are back together again. Aren't you excited? Don't you want to watch the show now? And then, and, and, and then the rest of us are like, yay, you know, yay, yay, we're pumped. You know, they're back, they're back together. We're going to watch everything now. You know, the nu- and the numbers just spike up. And I don't know, like, like if anyone is listening to this is pumped for Den and Grogu, uh, we're not. Reuniting, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not yucking your yum, you know, be happy for them, you know, that's okay, that's perfectly valid. And even, even my, my mom, I was talking about this with her, and she was, she, 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 she vehemently opposed, to my opinion, that they should have waited longer for the reunion, because she's like, no, we, we waited long enough, and I was like, well, okay, but still, it, like, we just, they just said goodbye within the timeline, and, but yeah, so, like, I know there's a lot of people out there who are excited, who are pumped, you know, excited pu- excited and pumped for the reunion, but I just don't think that it was necess- necessary to do it at this point, and, again, I, 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 again, I personally believe it's just for the, for, for the hype. I think that's what drove Disney, uh, drove Disney to do this decision, you know, for the, you know, sell more Grogu merchandise. And all that, and all that crap. But, now we move on to Chapter 7, In the Name of Honor, directed by Robert Rodriguez. And this is now the finale of the show. And, now, and so now we've got Boba and, Boba and company deciding to stay at the Sanctuary's ruins. Because I think they felt like it was too risky to go back to Boba's palace. And they're preparing for, you know, they're preparing for a gang war with the Pike Syndicate. Then we also have a meeting between the Pike Leader and Mark Shice and Cad Bane. And then Grogu arrives and the X-Wing. I think it, it Luke's X-Wing and R2-D2 is there too. Much to Pelimoto's shock. And she lets him feed on worms. Which was a, you know, a little cute, cute scene. I did think for a second that maybe Luke Skywalker would be in that X-Wing with Grogu. Or maybe Ahsoka. I'm actually surprised that Grogu just arrived on Tatooine by himself. 
And then we've got Drash, Scad, Demod, Kersantan, the two Gamorrean guards. You know, everyone is patrolling different sectors of Mos Espa and Mandalorian. And everyone is expecting Cobb Vance to arrive, but of course, like, he's not gonna come because he's dead. Although, the, the, the citizens of Freetown do, do come to the fight. And the Gamorreans, I mean, when, when, when everyone is just ambushed, and the Gamorreans are just shoved off the cliff, and I'm like, why aren't you, why weren't you more ferocious in a fight? And again, Bora never even mourns them later on, and, like, okay, I think they were waiting, I, I think, what they're waiting for, because they're waiting for people, I, I, maybe they're waiting for the Pike Syndicate, or waiting for the Minions to get off the train, and then they end up getting ambushed, I think that's what the whole point, but it's just like, I don't know. Just the two the two Gamorians just waiting there kind of felt pointless to me, and now it's like oh they're dead, and now no one, no one even fe- no one even feels any root for them. So that's that, that was a, a strange, uh, creative choice. And then Cad Bane arrives and tries to goad Boba into a shootout, but Fennec encourages Boba to keep his cool. And then the Major Domo, we've had the moment where he comes up with an idea to be Boba's messenger, so they can negotiate terms with the Pikes. And then Boba just ends up sending out the Major Domo, and it turns out like he's he and it turns out he's offering nothing. Boba's offering nothing. And oh, and I, and I love the moment when uh when the Major Domo has to has to just read read uh Boba's offer, and he just has to read out loud that. Uh, it was it was something about like the the lands will be richly flowered with your fertile bodies or something like that. Uh, I I, w- I wish I had I wish I had the exact quote, but it was it was something to that effect, and that was just a as a delightful bit of dialogue, and 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 then the major domo basically goes like oh shit for a moment like oh you know the pike the the, the pikes are gonna kill them, but then he's but then he's saved by Boba and then. And now we've got this moment where, uh, where Boba and Dent have to fight together, and that was actually a really nice scene, act-wise. You know, when the camera is just kind of, just kind of swiveling around them, and you know that that was a great scene. But and I do think some parts of the action here is quite thrilling, but then we got we got other things that don't work as well, and I'll point you know, I'll I'll point them out as we go, but. One thing I one thing I wasn't into was just how it's like, like the 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 I feel like the the way that the Boba and company they don't really pl- they don't really plan out the their defense strategy too well. It's like wait, shouldn't you maybe spread out a bit more throughout Mos Espa to try to take down the Pikes and uh, and the Kingpins and the minions who end up turning turning against Boba? It just felt. Like, it, I, I, it, it just it felt strange the way that everyone is placed, and it fe- it left some we- it left behind some weak spots out on this battleground, and 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 they even have all of these uh all of these big droids, which I believe are called uh, Scorpion X, and they're just kind of you know, they're they're just crawling all over the place. But I felt like they also it, it's difficult because everyone just keeps shooting at them, and it's just like. Hey, you know what? These these, these Scorpionex have a force field, and obviously none of your weapons are able to are able to penetrate them. Maybe you should reserve your gunfire. And but at at the same time, the Scorpionex. Okay, yeah, so so the all so the all called Scorpionex. Yes, 
the Scorpion X don't also really do that much either, because then it's like, there's shooting everywhere, but no one is hurt, I think, un except for, I think, maybe a few of the, a few of the mods and a few of the Freetown uh, citizens, but it doesn't really feel like the, the, the Scorpion X are really doing much damage, so that does lower the stakes for me as I'm watching this, and... I don't know, and and then there were also some 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 bits where the camera would slow down or would speed up during the fight, and I'm just like, uh, this is kind of uh, detracting from from my viewing experience of the of this final battle, and and, and oh and also the battle starting out with the heroes trapped in the sanctuary's ruins. It does it it it's evocative of the finale of the Mandalorian season one, when. Uh, when, when Den and Grogu and uh, Grief Kaga and Cara Dune and the uh, and and, uh, and Taika Waititi's droid, yeah, when 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 they're all in the when when they're all trapped in that in that cantina, and they're trying to fight off uh, Moff Gideon, it reminded me a lot of that scene, which you know, and and that's a good thing because I do like, action wise, that might be one of the best episodes in the Mandalorian, and. And even when Den, when Den tells Boba, this is the way, and I think you know Den is just promising like, hey, he's gonna stay there, you know, whether or not he dies, he's gonna he's gonna stick with Boba and you know try to you know try to help him out and you know hopefully get out of this life. And 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 then and then, yeah, and also the Scorpion X, that yeah, uh, Den 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 can't even pierce the force fields with his dark saber. And only only when Boba rides his anchor to wrangle with the Scorpion X does it look like the battle could become a win for the heroes. And I did love when the when the anchor just barges in, and I think you know we we were all kind of expecting that because you know we the Boba had be, had befriended the anchor earlier, just like just, so it's just like yeah you know this was gonna come sooner or later, and. Now, and that and that was great to just watch this giant beast just take down the Scorpion X, and I would say like the, the Scorpion X they kind of gave off Terminator vibes because of because of how much effort was needed to destroy them. I mean, the limbs were torn off, or the eyes, or or the banker would jam its thumb into into a Scorpion X eye. Or just completely, like, you know, pierce it, or just tear it apart. And it's like, they would still move around and try to stab, you know, stab the ranker, or shoot pe or shoot everyone with the lasers. And, so, and, and that was nice. I, I did like that aspect of, of Scorpion X, that, it, that, these that these were opponents that you had to spend a lot of time taking down and demolishing. And, and then, and then also, and then... There was a point, and then then is also able to take down a Scorpion X as well, because because then there's like half of a Scorpion X force field turns red after the Rancor beats it. Then is able to pass through the force field and then on the red half and kill it with the dark saber. And and then you know I will say like you know as much as much as I was racking on the reunion earlier, I, I do is in this moment when Den and Grogu reunite, it is adorable and. You know, and Grogu just leaps up into Din's arms, and his eyes widen, and that was like, that was pretty cute. And okay, and then Pettimoto. So so then she rides in, and she's the one who has Grogu with her. Why is she so confused 
when this fight when this uh, about this fight. It's like didn't he hear the noises of and all the chaos from a distance? So that felt kind of weird to me. And I did find it charming when she ends up getting paired up with Major Domo. And I don't know, it just felt it's just uh, again I did hear other people kind of being bugged by the pairing of the two of them because I, because like I guess the Major Domo does get, does rub does rub some people the wrong way the wrong way. So it didn't really help that much for for some for some of the viewers when Petty Moto and Major Major Domo ended up being kind of a, a a duo for a bit in this episode. But personally, you know, I, I enjoyed them. I found them to have some you know good comedic chemistry, and and then Grogu ends up using the Force to yank a little part out of a Scorponex leg before the Scorponex could crush in, and the part just zooms right into Grogu's chest, and it's just like, oh my gosh, be careful, Grogu. And and then Kosantin also survived being buried in Trandoshans because now he's back. And because it, there was a part earlier where it, like, like, where it looked like, oh, it's like, he, did he die? When he's getting, when the Trandoshans are just all piling on top of him, but no, he survived. Although it was too bad, we didn't get to see him pummel them. I would have found that to be quite fulfilling to watch. And then, oh, oh, and, oh yeah, and then also Drash and then one of the free poison denizens, they ended up sharpshooting the pikes. And okay. Also, there was another moment that bugged me. So when the when one of the Scrapnex is chasing down the is chasing down Cosantin and the mods, Cosantin ends up, I think, hiding off on the side of the road, and then he tries to push himself through the forest field, but then but then the Scrapnex just kicks him away, and then we see Drash and Scad running back to help him, and I'm just like. Wait, that doesn't really make sense. I thought you were running away from the Scorpion Act, and why are you running back now? I don't know, that just felt like a confusing scene for me. Just geographically. I, I, I was wondering, like, may, wait, maybe did they were they able to hide off on the side of the road, like Christiansen, and we and the show just didn't portray that, you know, to us visually, but I don't know. Just I, That was a weird little moment. Like, wait, how did, how did Drash and how did Drash and, and Scad move out of the way of the incoming Scorpionek? And it was little, thing, little things like that that did uh, take me out of take me out of the moment for this for for, for this action-packed finale. And okay, also, why did the Rancor give up on Cad Bane when he showed up so so quickly? Because the Rancor did destroy multiple Scorpionek. Why would it let Cad Bane's flamethrower? What it off so fast? So again, maybe that, an, another moment that did uh, turn me off. And then we got the shootout between Boba and Cad Bane. And Cad Bane ends up shooting first, and then he shoots again. And he rips off Boba's helmet. And he's right about to kill him, but then Boba whips out his gaffy stick to fight Cad Bane. And ends up impaling his chest. So, you know, yay. Another Yorikis claw. And... So I've already said, I've already expressed my thoughts on Cad Bane and why it's, why it was disappointing for him to be killed off. It's also strange because he also accuses, uh, Boba of, you know, being a killer at his soul. And how he, how he can't, he can't ever break away from his father's blood. And then Boba just ends up proving his point by being a killer and killing him rather, rather than sparing him. And then that doesn't really make it, it. 
that doesn't ever really build up for anything for the rest of the rest of the finale. And that just feels odd, because it feels like you should have built up an arc. It feels like you should have built up an arc where Boba tries to be humane, then he finds out, then he realizes, oh wait, this actually isn't working, this actually doesn't work. I need to be more, I need to be willing to return to my ruthless side. And then he kills Cad Bane, and then he goes back, and then after that, he decides that he needs to be a little more... You know, he does, he does need to follow Fennec's advice, and needs to, he needs to exert his authority over Mos Espa with an iron fist. Or, you have, you have him, again, see, you didn't have to kill off Cad Bane, you could have just had him spear Cad Bane to prove like, hey, I'm not a killer, you're wrong. You know, I have grown since I've worked for Darth Vader, I'm not, I, I am much more humane than I was, you know, back, you know, five or six, five or six years ago. So again, just like the way the way Boba's arc unfolds was, I think, clumsily executed. And then we've got the banker now that it's loose, it's, it's rampaging through Mosaspa, and you know everyone is trying to sh- you know the, the mod biker gang and the free poor citizens are all shooting at the banker, which is also like, okay, don't you realize that that's just pissing it off? And I and I think it was even, I I think I think it was even like I think. Uh, Dan, if I recall correctly, was telling them like, "Hey, you're, you're just pissing it off," and and then even and then even the banker tries to bite off Dan's head, but thank God for his best armor. And Grogu ends up calming the banker and just putting it to sleep, and then Grogu just falls asleep next to it, just right next to his head, which I found to be also quite adorable. And you know, I yeah, I, I'm not you know again, I didn't ca- I wish. I, I wish they weren't reuniting so quickly, but I, you know, I'm not immune to the, to the cuteness. And, and then, and then Fennec ends up uh, snuffing the Pike leader, and all of uh, the, the kingpins who betrayed Boba, and Mokshai's, which was, you know, that was satisfying to, to see, you know, as everyone is, you know, everyone in that room was just terrified. And, you know, as they should be, because Fennec, she is a, a master bounty hunter, and and, now, and then we go with everyone bowing to Boba and uh, Mos Espa because, you know, they all respect him for being able to save them, and it, annoy, and anno- it annoys him that he, because he has to bow ev- back to everyone, and he has to repeatedly put his, put his injured right arm over his chest, and... And, and and then they also have that little bit with the melon where you know they give him the melon and then he get, and then he tosses it to Constantin and I think I think it was I think it was Scad if I remember correctly asking like you know hey why can't you give us the melon too and just you know and then there's you know we you know it's the final little moment with Constantin and the mods and Boba and Fennec and then the camera pans up to the sky and we go up to space where Din and Grogu are up in Din's N1 and this was okay. Again, another it was it was a simple beat where Grogu he knocks his beloved little ball against his canopy to communicate with Din, and then it's just like he said like uh huh, no, mm. <laughs> and like he understands what these little what what these little knocks mean, and he finally relents, and he activates the sublight speed for the ship, promising that this is that this is the last time, and they fly off, and. That's it, you know, they, they, you know, they're, again, they're back together. Yeah, you know, it's like, again, all of this stuff was, was, 
Den and Grogu would have been great again if you have just reunited reunited at the end of the at the at the end of season three. It would have felt much more convincing. And I mean, and you know, it's, it's like Grogu has his little ball back now. And it's like again, I would have loved to see have seen that. But again, at the end of season three. And just not much happening with Boba. Like, why did you have, again, like, why did you have to rob the, the show of two episodes was of narrative time? You know, that's just, it, it, you know, it does feel, it, it does, it does feel upsetting, definitely. And, and then, oh, yeah, and then we have the post credit scene focusing on, you know, on Thundercat about to operate, like I said before, on Cobb Vance and a back to tank. Again, he should have, he should have been able to, uh, to fight alongside Boba and Din and everyone else in the in the finale. I mean, this is at, at least at least in this case, the, uh, Cobb was shot and he was take you know he was taken out of commission for this moment. Whereas in Eternals, Eternals pissed me off so much more because then it's just like, well, Kingo, you're just backing out willingly. Y- you know, on you know you're using your own volition here. And you could have easily swooped back in the same day, like Han Solo, but nope, you just back out for the entire boss fight. And that was just a strange note of choice for Chloe Zhao to make at the end of Eternals. And yeah, so that is all of the Book of Boba Fett, uh, I guess. I, I, again, I really do wish that this could have, you know, fulfilled much more of its potential, but... Oh well, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi is going to come out on May 25th, so... You know, again, you know, I have my hopes. I'll have my hopes up for that. And... just And, and also, I, I do want to give my personal episode ranking for this show. So basically, Chapter 5 was number 1. That was my... Chapter 5, Return of the Mandalorian, was my favorite episode of the whole series. Again, directed by Bryce Ellis Howard. Chapter... Uh, my my second favorite episode was chapter six, from the desert comes a stranger, directed by Dave Filoni. My number three favorite episode was chapter two, the tribes of Tatooine, directed by Steph Green. My number four favorite favorite episode was chapter seven, in the name of honor, directed by Robert Rodriguez. My number five favorite favorite episode was chapter three, the streets of Mos Espa, also directed by Rodriguez. My number six favorite episode was. Chapter 1, Stranger in a Strange Land, also, again, directed by Rodriguez. And then finally, my number 7th favorite episode, this is on the bottom of the rankings for me, Chapter 4, The Gathering Storm, directed by Kevin Tancharen. And, you know, I I, I guess, yeah, so now I've I've expressed all my thoughts on this show over the past uh, two hours, and just, you know, this could have been so much better. Again, if you if you really wanted, I mean, you know, John Favreau, he should have, you should have kept, you should have, you should have kept chapters five and six for uh, the Book of Boba Fett. I don't know why you had to just stick them in here and take time away from Boba rather than just give Boba, you know, give Boba and Fennec and their narrative time to shine. But yeah, so that, that's my breakdown of the Book of Boba Fett, and now we get to move on to. Good word. The segment in which I can recommend anything I want. Books, movies, TV shows, uh, podcasts, music, etc. And today, my good word is going to be the movie X-Men First Class. Now, 
I recently watched this. This was actually the first X-Men movie I'd ever seen. And and out of all of them, I'd heard that I I felt like this was the one that had received the most praise. It was the one that looked that looked the strongest. And it and it really did meet up to my expectations. And just the way it handled uh, Magneto's origins and just how powerful it was, and Michael Fassbender was such a magnetic uh, p- performer, pun unintended, and James McAvoy also did a great job too as Charles Xavier slash Professor X, and it's just a overall, I think, a pretty a well-told narrative, and granted, it does have some flaws, like I think some of the supporting characters, some of the mutants, her powers aren't utilized, uh, aren't utilized that creatively, I feel like some of them are just kind of boring, and this movie does also have a thing for really viewing women through a male gaze and just having them walk around in bras and underwear for a surprising amount of the runtime, and and, 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 and Kevin Bacon, I, I, back back to the pros about this movie, Kevin Bacon plays the villain here, and I would never, I, I, I never expected that, I don't think I would ever think Kevin Bacon could be a, could be a villain in a superhero movie, but now after, after watching this, I'm just like, oh man, you were actually really charming in this role. And I also appreciated the, uh, the score by Henry Jackman for this movie. I've always been into it actually because like there's the first class main theme and I've actually listened to that a lot a lot on Spotify. But then there's also Magneto's theme and that is also a perfect supervillain score. And I think in general I think I'm always into the villain the villain themes just because they have that darker edge and I think that's why I also really do love the the Riddler theme by Michael Giacchino that he composed for the Batman. And so between the two, between the Riddler theme and the Batman theme, I'm actually into the Batman theme more. Just my, my personal tastes, but... Ooh, I can't wait to listen to the... To, to the whole soundtrack for the Batman when it com- once it comes out. Because I think that could be an Oscar contender for best original score. And, but anyways, back to a- X-Men First Class. So yeah, again, pretty well told narrative. And... Okay, so I won't spoil it for the, for people who haven't seen the movie, but the bar fight is one of the best scenes, action-wise, in the movie. I'll just say that. And yeah, so again, X-Men First Class, it is on Disney+. Plus. Actually, all of the X-Men movies are on Disney+, Plus, except for Logan. But other than that, yeah, they're all on Disney+. Plus. And kind of confusing, though, because then also Fantastic Four. You, you've got Fantastic Four... The first one, and then the fanta- and then the Fan Four stick reboot, but not Fantastic Four: Rise of the Silver Surfer. And I'm just like, why is that? That just feels befuddling there. So, anyway, expand first class is my good word. As for my socials, so you can find this podcast on Twitter at two underscore sense critic, and you can follow my personal Twitter account at Oslo underscore and eighteen. You can email me at email two sense critic at yahoo.com. You can go on my blog at twocentscritic.com, and I'm also uh, I'm also on Goodreads at Arthur Howell, and GoodPods at uh, also at Arthur underscore and eighteen. It's a, and it's the same handle for uh, for Storygraph, and 
make sure you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, like on iTunes or Stitcher, Anchor, everywhere. And make sure that you also, uh, you know, tap that star rating on Spotify, and you know, tell your friends and t- t- tell your friends and family about the podcast too, because it'll re- it'll really help to to boost the numbers. And until next time, stay healthy and stay strong.